0: Welcome to the Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly podcast. Please listen as Dr. Steve Wood, pastor, teaches from God's Word.
1: Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, pastor, phone or message at 64386541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist 2020 at gmail.com.
0: Again, I want to thank you uh, uh, for your for your graciousness of, of putting up with me here this morning. Um, I am not a preacher by trade. I've never attended seminary. You know, uh, I, I'm just I'm just a guy that loves Jesus. You know, and and I, I'm I'm hoping that qualifies me enough to, to stand before you this morning. I, I, my my message this morning I've entitled a Christian defined and uh, This morning our opening scripture reading comes from 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 And I'll start off there and I'm reading from King James, but King James uh, uh, New King James rather, but uh, you know You follow along with whatever version you use And I'll start it off it says but concerning the times and seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and labor pains upon a, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief, you are sons of light. And sons of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort, and faint-hearted. Uphold the weak, but be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren. I mean greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You're going to have trouble figuring out how that equates to what I'm talking about initially. But I think that is probably one of the most crucial, crucial messages that we need to hear today. For whatever reason, there seems to be a growing need for a clear definition of the term Christian today. Now, this is not necessarily to be confused with the fact that more folks are designed to become Christians. The reality is, I think the opposite is true. But rather, there are those that, for whatever reason, feel the need to be able to distinguish the real Christians from the many fake Christians who have apparently staged a full-scale invasion in some parts of the world including here in Panama. So-called fake Christians are sometimes spoken of as some sort of pestilence that's come upon the land. I have to confess to you today that I question which represents a greater threat to the world. Those who may or may not be fake Christians or those who are trying to ferret them out in order to protect the rest of the populace. Years ago, we referred to them as fruit inspectors. However, in all fairness, we all need to test the Spirit, as I said in that first piece of Scripture, and also as uh, John says in 1 John 4.1. Having said that, I pray that you hear what I have to say this morning can apply it to your lives for the sake of your own eternal well-being. After all, we're, we're called upon to be salt and light. Amen. In order to accurately distinguish a fake from a counterfeit, or, or, or a fake or counterfeit from, from the genuine article, I think that probably one of the most reliable methods is the method that's used by the Secret Service and the FBI to identify counterfeit currency. Uh, I had to kind of go back to my law enforcement days for, for some of this. It's also the same method that that is taught to uh, a lot of bank tellers and other people that handle cash on a on a regular basis and the key is to thoroughly familiarize yourself with the genuine article learn all you can about the look and feel of the bill the type of ink that's used the the uh, microprinting, and there are all kinds of little intricacies in uh, particularly in American currency today to help distinguish the difference between a counterfeit and a real bill. And once you know exactly what the genuine article looks like, spotting a counterfeit piece of cake. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the term Christian used with assortment of modifiers, i.e., good Christian. Or, carnal Christian, or perhaps a born again Christian. I haven't actually heard the term "fake Christian" all that much, but I get it. It's usually used by someone who doesn't have the moxie uh, to directly attack a Christian when they feel threatened by God's conviction, so they they throw in an extra modifier, an adjective. Especially in social media, Facebook today is full of this kind of stuff. I, I guess it somehow makes it more politically correct, as, as we like to say these days. Yeah. In other circles, you might even hear less flattering terms like Bible-thumping Christians or money-grabbing Christians. And of course, you can always throw in the judgmental hypocrites when you want to really add emphasis. I'm particularly fond of the, the term radical Christian. I don't mind being radical for Jesus. How about you? I, and This frequently refers to those of us who might occasionally evoke God's name or the name of Jesus to make a point or to do something that popular culture doesn't generally associate with their contrived concept of God or some other higher power, as they like to say, whatever that even means. Since the late 20th century, extending into the current culture, you're more likely to hear the name Christ or Jesus Christ, both being versions of the same entity from whom Christians take their name, generally used as a mild explicative when harsher terms are deemed Socially unacceptable. I mean, let's face it, in today's popular culture, the name of Jesus has literally become just another curse word. That grieves my heart. Similarly, the word of God is more commonly used as half of a curse word or as a standalone in a more milder explicative. With the advent of social. Uh, media, and texting. Uh, For the sake of convenience and brevity, pop culture has opted for just a G, as in the ever-popular OMG, or without the optional with or without the optional F that they like to throw in on occasion. Regardless of your beliefs, these modifiers and extraneous uses only served a cloud, which is already a cloudy issue for many. So for the time being, let's focus our attention on the root term, Christian. The term first appears in the Bible in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 11.26 says, And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was... It was that for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. More recently, Marion webster has this to say. Christian, a person who believes in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Sounds simple enough, right? Well, maybe using that term—if you use that same logic—if one who believed in, and let's say, the writings of Mark Twain, would that make him a Twainian? Or, or, or if he believed in the teachings of Aristotle, would 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 that make you an Aristolian or whatever? Probably not. So I think we have to go a little bit deeper than just a dictionary definition. Simply believing in one's teachings to get a better handle on what it means to be a Christian. So what determines whether or not one's a Christian? A lot of folks who know me, or think they know me, think that just because I go to church pretty regularly, and I choose not to smoke or drink or or curse and refrain from from vulgar jokes and language in general. And uh, coupled with the fact that I'm pretty prolific on Facebook with sharing Scripture, that that somehow makes me a Christian. Well, surprise, it doesn't. Uh, Now, let me clarify. I'm definitely a Christian. But it's not because of any of the stuff I just mentioned or anything else I've ever done in my life. You might think to yourself, well, I believe that God exists. And or, or indeed, there was a, a, a person, an individual named Jesus, who once lived and, and taught others about love and peace on earth. And I know I'm not Jewish. And, and I certainly don't believe in one of those other guys like, like Allah or Buddha. And I definitely don't worship any idols. And I go to church mm, fairly regularly. Every chance I get. So, therefore, I must indeed be a Christian. Or am I? Besides, does it really matter whether or not one is a Christian anyway? I mean, after all, don't all religious paths ultimately lead to heaven? And what's in it for me? Well, If you actually believe that God exists and you believe that there is life beyond the grave, are you absolutely certain that were you to suddenly drop dead from a massive heart attack or or cancer or T-boned by uh, Panamanian cab drivers you pulled out of church this morning, are you absolutely certain that the next breath you took would be in heaven? You see, a genuine Christian knows that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, you might ask yourself, how can anyone be that? Sure, I remember my dad saying that to me once. God rest his soul. We never know for sure. But I submit to you, we can. The answer's in God's Word. The Holy Bible it is in fact, it was written for that very purpose. If you look in First John 5.13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So, what do you believe the qualifications of entering heaven? I mean there's really only one. Jesus said to him John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." That pretty much eliminates any other route, right? I mean after all, he said I am the way, not one of the ways. So let's zoom in on that a little bit. You might know, be thinking, so, so what if I don't really go to church that much? Maybe hardly at all. That doesn't mean I'm not a Christian, does it? I mean, after all, just because I spend time in a garage, that doesn't make me a car, does it? Besides, I try to go on the important days, like Christmas, Easter. I really don't need to go to church that much after all, especially with a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, besides all that, I do a lot of good things. I support all kinds of charities. I help poor people whenever I get a chance. I even serve food at the homeless shelter every Thanksgiving. I definitely believe in the golden rule. Do unto others. Man, I'm all about that 100%. Plus, I really try to stick to the Ten Commandments. At least the main ones, you know, like killing and stealing and stuff. Deep down inside, I'm really a good person. And and that's got to count for something, right? Well, so let's see now. Believe that there's God and that Jesus was a real person. Check. Not Jewish. Don't worship idols or other gods like Allah and Buddha. Check. Believe in the golden rule. Check. Try to stick to the Ten Commandments. Check. Yep. Definitely. Christian, I got this. What is the golden rule? (laughs) The golden rule is do unto others. (laughs) (laughs) So... Are you a Christian? Maybe so, maybe no under these circumstances. Are you all still with me this morning? Amen. All right. I'm going to assume that if your eyes are open that you're still breathing and you're listening. <laughs> open your Bibles for me if you will this morning if you've got yours. If not, share with a friend and hopefully you brought a Bible this morning. I mean it is after all church. <clears throat> if not, look on with a neighbor. I'll be re- referring to the King, New King James Version, but you can use King James, NIV, NASB, ESV, or, or even the Holman Bible like like pastor uses. Any of these versions will, will suffice for the sake of this discussion. Some translations are easier to understand than others. Let's start with the fact that you believe that God exists and see what the Bible has to say about that. Turn with me, if you will, to James The book of James 2.19. Everybody with me? James 2.19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Well, that kind of complicates things, doesn't it? I mean, it's obviously more than just believing that God exists. This verse says that even the demons believe and there's, <coughs> there's uh, that there's only one God. And I think we can safely say that demons uh, aren't Christians. So it must be more than simply acknowledging the existence of God, right? So sure it gets... Better from here. Let's go back to I'm definitely not Jewish. Well, let's look in Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine. Galatians three twenty six through twenty nine. I'm going to give you guys some Bible drill this morning. <clears throat> For you are all sons of God through faith in G- in Christ Jesus. For as many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, let me repeat that, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Well, this says that if you're baptized into Christ, you're one of Christ's family, that there's no difference between a Jew or anyone else and, uh, in terms of whether or not he or she is a Christian. For you're all one in Christ. Okay, so how about believing in the Ten Commandments and abiding by the Golden Rule? Well, let's start with the Big Ten. That should be easy enough, right? Uh, if you if you want to check it out word for word you can look in exodus 20 chapter 2 <coughs> and it's actually uh, yeah everybody with me Okay, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, and that is in the earth beneath, or that is the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, And hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother. That your days may be long upon this land. Which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Nor his male servant. Nor his female servant. Nor his ox. Nor his donkey. Nor anything. That's your neighbors. So how are you doing so far on this little checklist? Are you feeling pretty good about the fact that at least you haven't killed anybody or, or committed adultery? Ah, you might say, but that's Old Testament. Didn't I hear something about that these all got revised or repealed or something like that with the New Testament? Well, let's check that out. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter five, verse 17. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This isn't going all that well, is it? I mean, in fact, Jesus expounded even further on these. If you'll scan down in, in that same chapter and look at Matthew 5:21 and 22, as well as 27 and 28 and 31, 32, just all through there. You see, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, in other words, calls him stupid, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever even looks at a woman to lust for has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Furthermore, it's said to be that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Well, if you're like me, your score on the Big Ten is probably pretty dismal at this point. Even if God graded on a curve, but isn't close good enough? You might say. I mean, surely my efforts count for something. Matthew five four eight. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Sorry, close only counts in horseshoes and darts, and you know. Oh, and about that being a good person, well, there's always Romans 3.23, which says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then there's this in in Mark 10.18. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that's God. I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but I'm pretty sure you're not God. Oh, and about that righteous, those all those righteous good things that you, you, you mentioned. You know, there's, there's Isaiah 64, 6. But we are all like unclean things, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. The fact is that you can't do enough good things to be a Christian. The very best we have to offer is like filthy rags. So now you're thinking, okay, so believing that there's only one God doesn't help. Not worshiping other gods and not being a Jew doesn't help. No one could possibly get past the Ten Commandments. Gave up on those. And all the good stuff I do is filthy rags. What kind of God is that? Does that mean I'm doomed to hell? Could be. Very well could be. But the good news is, you don't have to be. Certainly not what God wants for you. So what kind of God is he? He's a kind, merciful, loving God. But He's also a just and sovereign God. A God who hates sin. And there is a mandatory punishment for sin. It's a wonder that He's let us live this long, quite honestly. That's His mercy at work. Not always giving us what we deserve. Thank God for that. Think about it. If someone got, stealing, got caught stealing your brand-new car, I mean, they busted him clean, carried him before a judge. He pleads his case before the judge. And he says, Judge, I'm really a good guy. You know, I just I needed a new car. You know, I won't do it again. And judges cut him loose. How would you feel about that? Would you be okay with that? I know I wouldn't. Would you consider that justice? Probably not. You'd likely want the judge to throw the book at him. Should we expect anything less from a sovereign God? The Bible clearly states, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23, if you're looking. This is what I like to refer to as the best bad news, good news story ever told. You see, out of what seems to be a hopeless situation, an unsurmountable hurdle to get over, the sin that separates us from God, God had a plan for man all along. The bad news is the wages that we've earned for the sins of our life separate us from God and is actually that separation is eternal once we breathe that last breath there's a sin debt that has to be paid with a life and that's the good news. That's God's law. The sins of our life are all committed against God. The great news is God loves us. He does not wish to punish us. He does, certainly doesn't wish to for us to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've been in church at all in your life, you've heard that a million times. But think about what it really means. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. All we are like sheep and have turned astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, the prophet Isaiah was telling us that it was on Jesus that our sins were laid. He took the punishment that rightly we should have. You see, God loved us so much that he allowed his one and only son, Jesus, to suffer horrific, torturous, lingering death, death on the cross. And while we earned that wage, Jesus willingly took it on himself, paying our debt in full. He suffered, died, was buried in a tomb, and rose again after three days, having paid for the sins of man. All that other stuff, while commendable, simply means that you're counting on your own merit to make you a Christian. Earning your spot in heaven when the fact is that God's offering all of that and so much more to you as a free gift. Because you can't pay for it. You're spiritually bankrupt. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love for which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved Note that very last sentence. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace. So what is grace? Well, you know, I was, years ago I was taught a, an acronym, GRACE god's riches at christ's expense grace grace is freely given it's a gift if we could earn it on our own it wouldn't be a gift if we could somehow pay for it it wouldn't be a gift and then we could take credit we could pat ourselves on the back and we saved ourselves That's not what god wants salvation like any other gift can be accepted Or it can be rejected. It's never forced upon us. Acceptance requires a transfer of our faith from whatever it is that we've been counting on to get us to heaven to putting it on Christ and what He did for us on the cross. It means that we acknowledge that without the blood shed for us that we are lost in our sin. We confess those sins, and we beg his forgiveness. The Bible says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, in a nutshell, well, let me read another verse. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what is a Christian? Well, (laughs) I'm just a sinner who's been saved by grace. I am far from perfect. Just as the Apostle Paul lamented in Romans 7, 15, for what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, I do. I occasionally say and I write things that I regret later. I do things that I shouldn't do, and I fail to do many things that I should do. And I admit that sometimes I don't look or behave much like a Christian. And I always regret that when I go to my father and ask for forgiveness. I'm a work in progress. I know that I fail him daily. But he's faithful. And I'm forgiven. Any good thing that I might do today is nothing more than the feeble attempt of a lowly beggar, offering his most humble thanks to a sovereign king for reaching his hand down to me from heaven to give me that which I don't deserve, could never deserve, could never earn adoption into the family of God and eternal life. So, there you have it. If you want to know what a Christian is, that's, pretty much the best i can do oh i almost forgot that thing about how some of us christians are always trying to force our beliefs on others well this is me doing that you see real christians want to take as many folks to heaven as they can because we love you If we see that you're headed the wrong way, we're probably going to let you know that. And some of us do it with a bit more zeal than others. Some of us occasionally forget that, well, there but for the grace of God go I. At the end of the day, we're all just trying to follow our king's orders. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Want to go to heaven with me? (laughs) So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household if not at least try to make sure that the fake Christian that you may be trying to avoid or or warn the world about isn't just another one of God's works in progress before arbitrarily stamping 666 on his or her forehead. I ask you again this morning, do you know for absolutely certain that should the very next breath you take be your last, would you spend eternity in heaven? If not, if there's the slightest doubt in your mind, God says you can know. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you feel that God's knocking on the door of your heart this morning, simply call upon the name of Jesus And I promise you, he will do for you what he's done for me and thousands of others before me. Friends, we're living in perilous times. I truly believe that our days here on earth are growing short. There will be a time in the near future when the opportunity for you to answer his call will pass. Don't let that happen to you. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His lovingkindness to a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let us pray. Father, You are faithful. You keep Your covenant and your loving kindness to a thousand generations of those who, who love you and keep your commandments. Your faithfulness is like the dew in the morning, giving life to all that it waters. Your faithfulness supplies us with all that we need to live out the purpose you've given us. Your faithfulness sets you apart from all others, letting us know that you alone are God and that you alone are worthy of all praise, all adoration, all glory. Your name is great. Your faithfulness is true. We look to you, Lord, in times of trouble, knowing that your faithfulness isn't dependent upon us, but rather on the intrinsic character that embodies your love in all things. We praise you for your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness. God, we depend upon your faithfulness especially when we're not faithful to you. And in those times we don't pursue knowing you as we should, we still look to you to supply what we need, yet you remain faithful. We confess to you, Lord, that we don't always seek you as we should. We don't always give you the undivided attention and adoration that you deserve. I confess, Lord, that I sometimes even doubt your faithfulness and your word when troubles and difficulties surround me. Forgive us for fearing when we should be trusting in your faithfulness. Forgive us for worrying when we should be resting in the reality of your faithfulness. Forgive us for questioning your faithful love and provision rather than honoring you with our faith in you. Father, thank you. Thank you that your faithfulness isn't dependent upon our obedience to you or even our faith. Thank you that you remain faithful and true even when we forget how faithful you are and give it to worry. You were faithful to Peter when he stepped out on the sea, Lord. Even though he took his eyes off you and began to sink, you reached out your hand in faithfulness to him from certain rescuing him from certain demise. Father, I know that we can depend on you always because of your faithfulness. Thank you for your great love which gives us our daily bread. God, we want to honor you in our faith and in your faithfulness. We want to please you with how we respond to difficulties and trials that come our way. I ask you, Lord, to strengthen our faith and embolden our trust in you so that we can bring you glory in all that we do and all that we say. On a personal level, Father, I ask for greater faith in your faithfulness. I ask for a greater awareness of your loving hand. I look to you to supply me with all I need, Lord, according to your great faithfulness. Let the light of your love and the faithfulness shine brightly on me, lifting me out of the darkness and despair and into the light of your love. In the great name of Jesus Christ, I pray all these things concerning your great faithfulness. Amen. everybody for showing up thank Ed did a great job thank you for sharing the word with us praise praise God for that dr. Fred would you want to just come up here and dismiss us please thank you Lord for hearing the word of God that Jesus says thank you Lord for forgiveness of sin thank you and we pray for the preacher and his wife caught with this COVID or whatever it is, and bless them and heal them. Because, Lord, you're in the healing business too. And help us not forget who you are this week. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, form or message at 6438-6541. Email at Steve R. Wood 002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to HBC Prayer List 2020 at gmail.com.
2: Thank you, and God bless.